I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to OzBiz Live from our Barangaroo Studios. Great to have you company for the next hour for the call. Ten stocks picked by you. I put them to our expert panel. We do it all in one hour. It's fast and furious, very informative. Let's bring in the team. Howard Coleman from Team Invest. Howard, how are you? Hi, good to be here with you, David. And Grady Wolf from Bell Directors in Brisbane today at a mining conference. Uh, Grady, good morning. Uh, what's, what's been the buzz with the mining conference this morning? Yeah, it's uranium at the moment. So word on everyone's lips. The price just tipped 106 US dollars a pound, and it's really put a lot of uranium miners in the forefront of investors' minds. With 60, I think it is nuclear reactors underway in construction at the moment globally, and a definite undersupply. So a few names here: Boss Energy, Paladin Energy, and 92 Energy has some really exciting news of a potential three-way merger. So we're hearing all about that today. Oh, very interesting. All right, keep us up to date on that. Um, yeah. We'll Uh, Let's go through the first five stocks for this half hour on the call. You want us to take a look at Objective, Challenger, Hanson Technologies, NRW and Bendigo and Adelaide Bank. Um, Stock of the day. There's a lot coming out at the moment. Um, uh, This morning, New Farm um, updated the markets and, and reported the stock falling the most in one and a half years on a a pretty bleak outlook. The company telling shareholders at the AGM today that as a result of challenging conditions in crop protection, it now expects earnings to be less skewed towards first half than previously indicated, but added it expects the group to return to growth in the second half of fiscal 2024. Um, Grady, um, New Farms had uh, a good couple of months uh, climbing back out of that trough that we see there. Uh, what did you think of the, the update today and the stock itself at the moment? Now, the update wasn't unexpected. And I'm actually expecting this across a lot of different companies heading into the second half of 2020 or FY24 because cost inflation is still a thing. High high input costs are still a thing. And with the agricultural sector in general and overall, it's very determined by demand and crops and weather and um, a lot of different factors at play. And so it's actually a really hard sector to operate in. So I'm not actually too concerned about this. It was kind of expected, but the company itself makes a lot of revenues from its omega-3 canola, which meets a lot of demand at the moment, especially with uh, a push in the ESG front for uh, reduction in consumption of fish. And so we've got this alternative. It's the world's only produ- uh, only producer of canola with omega-3 in it. So we actually really like this company. It's not a massive downer for us today, this um, update. And again, their, um, like their FY23 results were great. It was ahead of Bell Potter expectations. So we actually have a buy rating on them. Mm. They shares are down 
down 12% over the last five years and down 5% over the last year. But we just definitely see it as a buy, like a buying opportunity. And that's what Bell Potter's analysts said. So um, inventory overhang and higher cost of goods is what they blamed their second or their first half performance on. So I'm sure they're not alone. And I'm expecting a lot of companies across different sectors to come through with this exact update soon. Okay. Uh, Howard, what do you think? Do you think it's a buying opportunity? Well, put it this way, for my sins, probably about 20 years ago, I owned New Farm shares. Right. That's before I got a little bit wiser through uh, being around a little bit longer. Hey, I, I, can, I can sense a bit of investor remorse. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, would, probably, yeah. and, and I think I paid about $7.50 and landed up selling them for about $5. And the, uh, several years later, not, not several weeks later, yeah. And the beautiful story with New Farm I discovered is every time they made a half yearly report, a yearly report, or had an AGM, the word challenging appeared in it. Right. <laughs> um, now, um, my experience of businesses that keep referring to things as challenging, what it says is they don't run the business terribly well. Right. And this is a very difficult industry, as Grady pointed out, to be in. There are a lot of things outside of your control. So you've got to be a genius business yeah. person to run this well. And they clearly haven't been the collection of CEOs. it's an ag stock, is it? Absolutely. Agricultural stock, which brings its own level uh, weather, of complications. Floods, yeah. uh, droughts, all these sort of things into it. Um, so, you know, if I look back on it, uh, it must be 20 years ago, roughly, that I owned it. The share price is about the same today. Right. If you took the same amount of money, uh, I don't remember what I did with the money that I sold New Farm for, but I put it into something else. Whatever else I put it into in 20 years, it's probably today at least 10 times or 20 times my <coughs> original money. Right. I mean, at 15% growth per annum, over 20 years, it would be... Uh, four to six, so 16 to uh, 30 odd times the size. At 20%, it would be 38 times right. the value. And this hasn't hardly moved. If anything, it's gone backwards. Okay. So whenever I look at New Farm, I think bad news. <laughs> and it doesn't pass you're, our filters. You're, you're, it's return you're on mentally low. scarred. Yeah, and yeah. it's return on equities low. Um, you know, uh, there's nothing about it that anybody okay. in team investor would get excited about. All right. Okay. This is why we work well, Howard. Uh, <laughs> oh, exactly, exactly. And and that's the beauty of the call because yeah. everyone on the panel is different, but it gives investors an insight yeah, into course. different ways of thinking, which are, which exactly. which is what I love. All right, uh, our first stock uh, on the list from viewers, Ravi wants a view on Objective, uh, a tech company, uh, content management software. Uh, basically for governments, um, the portfolio of around a thousand public sector clients across Australia, UK and New Zealand. Um, Grady, what's your view on Objective? I didn't actually know much about this company before seeing it on the list today, so I had to do a bit of deep diving. But anyone who operates in the software in the software sector right now, big tick if they've got their right fundamentals at play. Government sector, even more of a tick because governments are so strict about what services and what um, what tech companies they use because of the obviously um, this safety feature and the um, so many cyber security incidents these days so they do their due diligence so that puts this company objective in a really good position that they're operating in the government sector um, what we like to see is annual recurring revenue in this space the company actually is targeting 15% uh, annual recurring revenue for growth for the financial year 
Um, and some of the brokers have a forecast of 20% growth of this of this front. So what we like is that it's um, it's annual recurring revenue is growing. So that shows stability, especially through times that we've seen over the last few years, where investors pile out of tech stocks and they have to weather these storms of high interest rate environments. So for something like Objective, having annual recurring revenue is huge. The company also is really um, their switching costs, like for com- for their customers to switch, is really really high. So they've got 99% annual customer retention rate, which is just incredible for a company in this sector because switching is so high among all tech providers. So given the fact that their switching costs are high, their retention rate is so strong. So I actually like this company. I've um, actually put a buy on it because based on the fundamentals and what we're seeing. So yeah, I do like this mm. company. Um, it's definitely on my radar now. Okay. Howard, Technology One has been a big wealth winner for you. And yeah. I must admit, I didn't know much about Objective. Reading the description sort of reminded me of Technology One, targeting government, uh, public service, um, enterprise uh, type software. Does that yeah, stack um, up like Technology One? It, it, there are a lot of similarities. It's, yeah. The product's actually aimed at quite different things. Yes. But, you know, I mean, the technology spans a very wide range. Um, and um, much much as it makes it much less fun for me to totally agree with Grady, Grady, I, I largely agree with you here. Oh. Uh, this company's had high return on equity for more than a decade. It's right. passed our filters all those years. Its earnings are growing, not as fast as something like TNE, but its earnings have been growing at uh, uh, in the last few years pretty fast. But prior to that, they were at least growing significantly faster than inflation. Yep. And... Um, they never have much debt as technology companies really well, capital lights. They shouldn't have any debt. Yep. In fact, usually the only debt they have are the office premises. And as Grady pointed out, there's a trapdoor moat. Um, once you're in and you're using this particular technology in your government department for all your files and documents and so on, it really is extraordinarily hard to switch. Now, one of our Team Invest members who works in government in a senior position in Canberra uh, talks about objective as being horrendous. He hates using it, but he says the alternatives are worse. So he said, as far as he's concerned, um, it is an awful thing to use, all the parts of it that he's using, they have multiple products. The parts of it that he uses are Use are terrible, but every time they've looked at anything else, it is so much worse that right. they then say to themselves, we love Objective Corporation <laughs> by comparison. That's interesting. So the only thing I would say that's probably a big risk here is with a generative AI uh, coming into its very early infancy days. Now, yeah. it's going to be many years probably before it's beyond the hype stage. Um, but that may, in fact, either be a terrific opportunity for objective or it may land up being a risk right. because there are a lot of things that you may not need objective for if you could use uh, AI to do some of those what would be time-consuming things without a human. Yeah. Um, so I don't know their products well enough to be able to make a comment on that, but I'm sure it's the sort of thing we'll be discussing in team invest meetings. Is this going right. to be mainly a risk or an opportunity? But it does pass all our filters okay. and has done for years. And and at these levels. So a, yeah, a I mean, few, has, it, has it been popular with team no, investment? No, not, not really. There are not many team invest members who own it. There are a few, right. but not many. Its PE is quite high at the moment. I mean, its PE is averaged between just under 20 and a bit over 100 over the past 10 years. Right. So it bounces around a lot. At the moment, it's in the 
top half, but not super high. It's at about 56. Okay. Uh, if you could buy it at a P of 40, I think you'd probably find quite a few Team Invest members buying it. Right. But at 55, it's a little on the rich side. Right. So not for you? Yeah, I mean, I've never owned it. Right. But there are Team Invest members who do. And um, I certainly look at it and say, this looks like a terrific company, right. um, but it just looks a bit expensive okay. at the moment. All right. So buy on a pullback, yeah. if you like. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. Let's, uh, Janet wants a view. Um, Howard, you talked about um, Farm saying it uh, always has challenging in uh, <laughs> its annual reports. Uh, Janet wants a view on Challenger. Uh, the uh, financial institution, mainly in annuity and retirement products. Um, what's your view on Challenger? Well, in, in theory, this is a phenomenal position to be in because yep. with a baby boomer generation being so large and ageing, you would think that annuities would be really, really popular. But we don't really have a good legislative framework in Australia to make annuities all that good for the people whose money it is. Yep. And that, I think, has been the problem with Challenger. Um, for years, it's been talked about, you know, one of the next best things or big things because of annuities, but it somehow never really got there. Um, it, it's always been a bit of a disappointment. It was making over 60 cents a share 10 years ago. It's now making 38 cents a share. Right. You would have thought it would have gone in the opposite direction. Now, whether that's mm that the industry is a lot tougher than I can see from the outside, uh, or whether that's uh, that it's just not that well run uh, and could be a lot better if it was with different management, I don't know. But it's been a very, very disappointing performer in an industry where you would think the uh, tailwinds are well behind it. Mm. I think somebody one day in Australia will crack it, They'll work out some way of getting government to approve annuities in a way in which they become highly attractive to investors. And you'll then see a big uptake. But at the moment, um, it just has never really yep. achieved what... It's been a constant disappointment. Right. So a no. Okay. Because you would have thought, and this is what's been put to me by a few people, is that uh, for years, Challenger said... Oh, low interest rates have been terrible for us and terrible for annuities and all that sort of stuff. Um, uh, and share market may not have been performing well. Um, in the last 12 months, interest rates are up. Share market's at a record level. You would have thought, logic would have said that Challenger should, this is the ideal type. All the planets have aligned for Challenger and share prices hasn't done much and, at all. And in four, you know, several years back when interest rates were reasonably high, they also didn't do terribly well. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, it's fine to use that as an excuse, but it doesn't seem to be the reason when you right. look through their history. So yeah. we've never looked at enough detail that I could say I'd know it exceptionally well, but it's just been a continual disappointment over okay. all the years. Uh, Grady, what do you think of Challenger? Yeah, it's, it's exactly what Howard said. It's in the right place at the right time, but it just has failed to crack the code of making a material imp material growth in this sector. Now, the company, um, it's got a decreasing value proposition because it's just not capitalising on the ageing population to return exactly what you need from a company in this financial sector. Now, the main disappointment for a lot of the analysts recently was a continuation of negative net flows for the last five quarters in the retail channel. So again, 
spend. You need positive returns. You need these inflows. You need a lot of the um, the growth in the book that they're operating and the annuities is where they make a lot of their profits and there's just no growth on this front. So, again, as Howard said correctly, I'd avoid it. Um, I don't know a great deal about the company, so the ins and the outs and things like that. But from what I've had a quick look at, um, yeah, it's just not on my okay. radar right now. Well, uh, so we've got two stocks back to back that you both agree on. I think that's uh, a bit of a record for a- you two. Absolutely. Uh, um, Granny, there's something going wrong here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's see if we could go for a triple header. Um, <laughs> Grady Lachlan wants a view on Hanson Technologies. Uh, this is the billing software uh, company. Look, um, a lot of your energy bills that come from the different providers or your Foxtel bill or whatever uh, will probably be managed by Hanson Technologies, does a lot of them. That's their, um, that, that's the patch that they work in. Uh, Grady, what do you think of Hanson? This is the company that a lot of Australian customers love to hate, but it's the automation company that everyone needs in their life. And I actually didn't know much about this company because uh, it just hasn't come across my radar very often, but it's the software supplier to the services, communications and uh, water industry. So it's needed. It's a needed software. There's not many competitors in this space, so it's not a saturated market. So I actually do genuinely pretty well like this company. I hope Howard's listening and says the same thing, change your notes, Howard. Um, But the company was founded in 1971, so it has a good history and a long standing right now. And it's a global provider of software, so it has global scalability. Um, They've got their price to earnings is about 24 times and it's the a PE ratio that's higher than average, but it's not high for the tech sector. So that shows that they've got good growth. They've actually um, alluded to five to 7% um, growth over the net organic revenue growth in FY24. So again, they've got stable growth margins. They've got a bit to guidance margin of above 30%. So it, this is all actually looking really good. Um, they've got a good dividend payout ratio. So 57% to 40 to 50%. So again, they pay a dividend for all all of our income investors out there. But yeah, for a tech stock to pay a dividend is quite um, rare for some. But yeah, actually, this company has not come across my radar very often, but I'm, I'm, I'm a bit okay. of a fan. All right. So a buy from you, 600 customers across 80 countries. Um, Howard? Yeah. And in, in fact, the way they've largely grown is by acquiring other companies in the same field. Right. And then strangely, I've never totally understood why, but it obviously works for them. Um, they don't then, once they've bought the other company, change that company software to their software. They use that company software in that country oh. so they don't change that. So it's quite strange. So it's really a collection of uh, different software uh, plans or systems yeah. uh, all over the place. Now, maybe eventually, after a large number of years, they do integrate yeah. it and use the same pick, one. Pick the best of each of them. Yeah, it yeah. could be. Yeah. But um, at any one time, they're therefore having to maintain a lot of different softwares, which does have a bit of cost. But they've done this incredibly successfully for many years. So their return on equity has passed our filters every year except 2019. Not sure why I didn't that year. Earnings have grown, but not super fast, but certainly faster than inflation. And that's what you're always looking for. And it's never had any debt of any significance. So it's a company that's passed our filters in Team Invest for probably 15 years. We've talked about it fairly often. 
Um, there are quite a few members who own it, but it's not one of the m- most popular in Team Invest because it's hard to understand and it hasn't done exceptionally well. It's done well, but there are companies mm. that have done better in the same field. You mentioned Technology right. One as an example, uh, as a technology company. They don't do the same thing, but right. as a technology yeah. company. So, um, yeah, I mean, overall, uh, any viewer wanting it, it it's, it's a good business. And it's not on a particularly high PE for a technology company, as yeah. Grady said. It's on about 25. Grady, unfortunately, I'm not hearing everything you're saying. Yeah. This uh, earphone's great. playing up yeah, a yeah. bit, but I heard that bit. And uh, so uh, you could probably buy it a little bit cheaper than currently. It's P's occasionally, or most of the time, uh, uh, averaged a teeny bit less than that. But it's not really expensive. It's right. marginally more expensive right. than perfect. You know, uh, $5 would probably be a good entry price, and right. it's pretty close. Okay, perfect. Couple All right. Of down well, days. yes, no, I'll put that down as agreement as well. Three stocks. Uh, in a row. Yeah. We're spoiling um, the show. Yeah, yeah. Jeez, we're breaking all sorts of breakouts Absolutely, here today yeah. with you two. Um, so, all right, let's see if we can go for four, fingers crossed. Um, Howard City wants a view on NRW, the uh, contract services, uh, business and resources and infrastructure, um, civil engineering, mining and minerals, energy technologies. Um, what do you think of NRW? Yeah, I think in actual fact, they're the biggest in their field. They have passed most of our filters most of the time. But the difficulty with a company like this is it's often doing fixed price contracts that take a long time to complete. So all you need is more inflation than you expected. And um, you've now got a problem. So, um, you know, the, the worry in investing in a business like this is you never quite know until the contracts are complete that they did as well on them as they thought they were going to. Because they're, they're big contracts, too, they are. aren't they? Which, they are. Which if you, you know, a lot of um, the experts on the call to companies like this have said, big contracts, if they do them well, terrific. Uh, if you bugger them up, it's absolutely. It's, it can be really expensive. <laughs> and they're working on quite small profit margins. I mean, their net profit margin is low single digits, you know, right. 3.2, 3.5, 2.6, 4.2 over the last four years. I was going backwards over the last four years. And they have had to do a capital raising a couple of times where they have got one wrong. Yeah. So they've gone from having 270 million shares to 450 million shares uh, in the 10 years. So... Um, uh, too much risk from a Team Invest member's perspective. They would look at this always and say, although on the surface it passes most of our filters, some of the time passes all of them, um, but when we triage them twice a year, they usually look at it and say, nah, they're better places. Right, okay. So we've never done any in-depth studies on it. All right. Grady, NRW? I agree. You agree? I agree. Yeah, I agree for sure. Um, I, again, this isn't one that's on Bell's radar or my radar, but um, it's in. It's a services company in the obviously mining and infrastructure state. There's actually a few players that I have on my radar that operate in this area, which is like Develop Global and Mineral Resources, but only because they also have their own assets. And so that's where the driver and the kicker comes for me is it being a hybrid company, not just a services company, because as a services company, you're exposed 
exposed to wages, you're exposed to labor shortages and skill shortages. And so your sole revenue relies just on those factors. But with a company like your MinRes or Develop Global, you've got your own assets. And so once they're in production, you can start making money off that production, uh, that production and not solely rely on the services department. Um, in saying that though, it's not a bad company. It's uh, NRW is not a bad company at all. It had record order book in 2023. Revenue rose 11.4%, uh, record cash holdings and a record annual dividend payout. So it does um, definitely appeal to a lot of investors out there who just want exposure to mining services and infrastructure services. And they do have good contract backlog as well. But again, as Howard said, you don't know how well the contract went until the end of the contract mm. is done. So um, yeah, and you're always relying on that next contract. You're not, there's always like the what's next kind of thing. It's not just um, happy with everything that's happening right now. So yeah, yeah it's probably an avoid for me. Uh, interesting, because uh, MinRes came up on the panel yesterday and, yeah. and you know, we're all reminded by the fact a third of MinRes's revenue comes from mining services. That's how they yeah. started. Um, exactly. So it's a big part. And as you say, uh, they're the customer of their exactly. mi mining services division. So they're, yeah. uh, they're unlikely to, <laughs> uh, to yeah, kick up a steam. Really. Yeah, yeah. All yeah. right. Okay, our uh, fifth stock, uh, Grady, Heath wants to be on Bendigo and Adelaide Bank, the, uh, the regional bank. Yeah, I am actually not the greatest fan of any of the big banks or be or banks at all. They're not in my portfolio. Um, if they were, I'd probably go with CBA because CBA is the most trusted bank in Australia. Um, there's headwinds coming for this sector. So net interest margins have peaked across the board for the big banks. Switching of mortgages and loans is at an all-time high right now. Interest rate cuts are coming, so net interest margins, again, can't go any higher. So what I, I actually have a sell rating on this. Bells don't cover it, but majority of the um, the other analysts and brokers have kind of the unified position of a sell at the moment because there's just um, they had a disappointing first quarter update. Um, the, obviously around the expectations of a soft landing and potential interest rate cuts. And that just doesn't fare well for any of the banks at all because it just shows their profit margins are going um, to deplete. And so I honestly would just avoid yeah. the banks at the moment. Okay. That's my personal opinion. Um, but yeah, the first half is looking to be pretty tough across the board and switching's pretty high. So. Okay. All right. Yeah. So it's had a good couple of months. Take advantage of that. Yeah, pop in the bank. share price and uh, take yeah. your profits and run. Uh, yeah. Howard? Yeah, I mean, banks are not wealth winners. Mm -hmm. um, they don't really make much money for shareholders. You get a dividend and that's probably yep. it. You get uh, growth in share price slower than inflation. If you look at it over the, the long period, you go backwards in actual fact. Um, so they're not really particularly good investments. And there's a fair bit of logic for this. The banking sector is not going to grow any faster than the overall economy. And there are more and more tiny little players, thanks to the internet, um, taking little bits off the table that the banks used to make money out of, like transferring money overseas and those yeah. sort of things. On top of that, as a society, we don't like to see banks make money. That's never popular. No politician gets extra votes by saying, yay, banks made a bigger profit. He gets extra votes or she gets extra votes by saying, we got to bash the banks. They're gouging customers. The fact that their interest margins have been going down year after year after year 
ever since I came to Australia when they were about 4% and they're now about 1.5%, which means banks are actually making less and less and less and less yep. as a percentage on their net interest margin. Hasn't stopped the pollies of every uh, uh, colour and, and, and party of thinking there's votes in bashing the banks. So how are banks ever going to be wealth winners when our society doesn't want them to make much money? Of course, we'd cry like crazy if one of them went broke yep. um, and we as taxpayers <laughs> that to bail them out. But uh, as Grady says, it's not in her portfolio, none of them in mine. I yep. don't think Team Invest members have ever discussed in any depth a bank positively whenever it's come up, it's landed up being negative by the end of the discussion. But uh, they're in a lot of people's portfolios because yeah. they pay dividends. Yeah, yeah. And also they've had them so long, there's tax yeah, issues. absolutely. If you sell thing. them now, you've got to pay all this capital gains tax, yep. you know, yep. that sort of thing. Okay, but but not for you. All right. No. Uh, then let's recap the, fo- uh, the first five stocks. Uh, New Farm, a buy from Grady, a no from Howard. And then the next five stocks, there's sort of broad agreement all in a row. Objective. <laughs> Uh, yes, from both, but um, Howard would like to see it as a, on a pullback because um, it, it's um, EPS is a bit higher PE at the moment. PE is a bit higher than it usually is at the moment. You might be able to get it better uh, in a while. Challenger, a no from both. Uh, Hanson Technology, yes from Grady. Would be a yes from Howard. Uh, better buying around the $5 mark. NRW, a no from both. Uh, Bendigo, a no from Howard, a sell from Grady. Uh, I was just wondering, could it be that because Grady and I aren't in the same room, we suddenly agree with one another? When we're in the same room, we can't manage to agree. Yeah, yeah, well... I'm going to go way more often. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's like many relationships, you know. (laughs) It's better when you're apart. Just kidding, Lib. Um, I love it. I love it. Uh, Here on the call, we've been tracking our own high conviction uh, fantasy funders picked by the investment committee. Um, The December committee meeting is live on the platform at the moment. There was no January one. Uh, The February one is coming next week. So watch out for that. Back in December, uh, they bought ResMed, Car Group and Johns Ling. Uh, they took profits on Wes Farmers, RPM Global and MA Financial. Uh, funds up 22% since uh, March 2022. Um, in the next half hour, we're running the ruler across Harvey Norman, Temple and Webster, Seven Group, Endeavour and Mass. Um, all right, Austin wants to view Howard on our big retailer, Harvey Norman. Yeah, Harvey Norman's one of these companies that's never been a wealth winner, but at the same time, it's never been a capital killer. And um, you can invest in it and put it in the bottom drawer, go to sleep, but um, you'll never do exceptionally well out of it. It's mainly a property play uh, rather than a retailer. I actually think it's in the wrong category being called a, a retailer because although they're advertising retail all the time, it's mainly franchisees renting space from them who are yeah. doing the retailing. That's their business model. And their, yeah, their business yeah. model is really owning the property. Now, in the long term, because property prices tend to go up in value in the long term, um, sometimes no faster than inflation, but at least they are going up. Um, that's what's largely helped them. But if you look at their earnings per share, um, their earnings per share got a huge boost in the beginning of COVID. And it's come back down again to pretty much where it was pre-COVID. So 
this is not an exciting thing when you consider that from pre-COVID to now we've had 20% inflation. You'd want earnings per share to be at least 20% higher than it was pre-COVID, but it's not. But again, as I say, um, it's it's never going to be a capital killer either. Um, you know, you've got a couple of people at the top there, uh, Jerry and his wife, who own a huge proportion yep. of it. Um, they're not going to do something to mess up their own wealth by doing something stupid with a company try, to try and get a bonus that yep. year. So, uh, you know, it's safe, but not a wealth winner. And I don't think Team Invest members, be. any of them own it. But Right. So it wouldn't be in your top retail no. picks if, no. you're, if you're looking for stocks, retail well, stocks out of that look, sector for your portfolio. It's one it of the better be. ones, but not one of the best. Right. Okay. You know, so there's probably three or four others that most of our members far prefer. This would be in the next category, you know, so you wouldn't chuck it out and say it's a disaster. So you're a big supporter of JB Hype, yeah. uh, Nick Scarley. Yeah, those, those ones. But, uh, you know, if somebody said to me, I've got Harvey Norman in my portfolio and I'm happy holding it, I wouldn't say, oh, it's going to be a capital killer. So, sure. So, if you've got it, hold it. Yep. Uh, Grady, what do you think of Harvey Norman? The agreement goes on. I agree with a hold. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Howard's just nailed it on the head. So, this company is exposed to fluctuations in retail spend, which we're actually seeing at the moment because a lot of of, um, Australians during COVID redid their whole houses. They upgraded all their TVs and you don't need to do that very often. So, as Howard correctly said, it is a property play. But um, a company like this, they are impacted and they've, they've flagged um, they've got tougher economic times to come because we are seeing that downturn in uh, retail spend at the moment. So any company like this, especially the higher ticket or the high ticket items like the white goods and the fridges and TVs, like you don't need to replace them that often. And so with that in mind, a company like this is definitely more exposed to fluctuations in prices than a LaVisa or an Accent Group, which are our kind of preferred retail picks. So... Um, with this in mind, the pre-profit tax dived 49% in Q1. And so, again, it just goes to show how the company is doing it tough right now. Um, but, yeah, with a housing crisis on our hands, though, and more building uh, set to be done over the next few years, that will bode well for Harvey Norman, really well. But, yeah, at the moment it's a hold because it's not a bad company at all. Um, Jerry is doing a really good job and, and actually, as Howard said, he's not going to do anything to mess up his own money. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's a long-standing history. It's an Australian company. Um, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just a hold right now in this current climate. Okay. Let's stick with retail, though. But a retailer, which is an online retailer, Carrie wants a view, uh, Grady on Templum Webster. Is, is that a better option to Harvey Norman? For me, this is definitely a better option, but it's also garnered a hold rating because of the economic cycle that we're in. But I actually love this company. It's one that's often often in my presentations for different roadshows because of the fundamentals and the build of the company, like its actual business operations. So it's a 70% of its products are drop shipped. And so what we know about the retail sector is inventory is a really critical measure and metric that investors are really critical of, and as they should be, because 
because it's a cost that's hanging above your head. So if you're not passing on your inventory levels year on year and reducing it year on year, you've got a serious cost to weather. So a lot of companies have to either mark them down to such discounts that they make a loss or simply write them off. So with a company like Temple and Webster, 70% of their products are drop shipped, meaning they go straight from the manufacturer to the customer's door. Temple and Webster don't touch them. So that's a really, really strong business proposition. So that's what sort of what Nick Star Nick Scarly does. Does it? You, kind you, of, but you they have the warehouses as well. Ah, they have right. the stores as well. Right. And I think Temple and Webster is solely online. Yeah. So that, that in saying that though, it bodes well and it actually works against Temple and Webster because if I want to see a couch and I want to feel the couch, you can't do that. Yeah. But in saying that. Uh, they've actually just invested in a company called Renovi, which is an AI company, and they take a photo of your house or your room, and it puts the Temple and Webster products in your house. Mm. So it's a seriously good investment and a really smart move by Temple and Webster, and that was done. They strategically used 2023 as a year of investing in R&D and marketing and AI because they knew there'd be a slowdown in consumer spend. So the, the I love this company. It's a really, really strong company, really strategic. Um, just to hold because of the market environment we're okay. in at the moment, and shares have been going pretty well. All right, uh, Howard. I think we're back to normal service. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Look, it's not terrible, but um, it's hard to get enthusiastic about this company. Its return on equity has dropped the last two years. It didn't make a profit for four years. Then it suddenly make it made a terrific profit, and now the profits have been dropping again. Uh, earnings per share has gone down from almost 12 cents a share to 11 cents a share to 9 cents a share to 7 cents a share. And of course, they had to come up with an explanation for that. So the explanation is they're investing in the future. Um, that's what every company says when things are not going well. It either wasn't their fault, it was the weather, it was the government, it was somebody else's fault. Um, or alternatively, they're investing in the future. So it all sounds terrific. The, one of the things that I think is often not understood about the internet is the internet's great for reducing costs. Who gets the benefit of most of that cost reduction? The customers, yep. not the retailers, because you and I and Grady can go online and we can have a look and we find the product somewhere else cheaper. So we say, oh, well, in that case, we buy it from them. So margins go down. The benefits of all this investment in improving your technology right in the end, flow to the customers. In the beginning, they flow to the retailer. So Temple and Webster starts up like when Kogan started up. They made terrific money in the early days because they were ahead of everybody else in terms of the way they ran their online platforms. Then everybody else catches up and all that money flows to the customers rather than to the uh, owners of the business. So uh, hard to get enthused about it when its profits are going down the way they are. But it's not a bad company, so I'm not saying this is terrible, right. but not one that our members would be enthused about. And it's on a PE of 138. Wow. Now, you know, if you're going to have a PE of anything over 50, you better have a very, very, very certain path to right. increased earnings. I mean, we always say you've got to be virtually certain earnings per share will be materially higher in five Jeez, and ten years' high. time if you have a high PE ratio. Yeah. And this has got not just a high PE ratio, got a super high PE ratio. Yep, yep. Even compared to the to other tech companies. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. higher than that. All right. Yeah. Okay. All right. The first disagreement. Um, let's see uh, what the, uh, the panel thinks of Seven Group. 
Um, and this has come in from Philip wants a view on that. Um, Seven Group is, is sort of like a almost private equity, listed private mm. equity like Solpats or, mm. or Wes Farmers owns the Oztrack um, heavy machinery business, which is the Caterpillar licensing, has a big stake in Boral, uh, biggest sh- shareholder in uh, Seven West Media. Um, it's got interest in oil, bridge oil, I think it is. Um, how, it, how does Seven Group stack up? Yeah, I think if you're buying into Seven Group, you're really buying into the people who run it. Yeah. Stokes and the others yeah, at the Ryan top. Stokes. Yep. Um, you're not buying really into a single business because it isn't. It's right. a, as you described it, it's almost like a private equity business listed on the stock exchange. A bit like Sol Patch, you're investing in the Milden family, aren't Correct. you? Correct. Um, Milder family there. Milder yeah. family, sorry. Yeah. 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 And um, the last four years, its return on equity has been more than 10%, but prior to that, it wasn't. So it hasn't been as successful as, for instance, Sol Pats. Um, it's got higher debt than Sol Pats tends to have, and its earnings per share has been growing about the same. So if you look at earnings per share, if anything, it's been made maybe marginally growing a little faster than Solpats, but its history of ROE is a little bit worse and its debt's a little bit higher. So, you know, uh, of the two, if it was me, I'd probably go for Solpats. Right. Uh, at the moment, uh, Seven Group is on a PE of about 20, which isn't all that high. So it's not a, a one that you'd look at and say terrible investment, but it's one that our members would look at and say, can we get excited about this? Well, if we're looking for 100 companies in our portfolio, possibly, but seeing as we really only want 20, maybe 25 right. at maximum in our portfolio, would it make the best 25? Nah, not okay. really. All right. Uh, Grady, as we saw their share price sort of been hovering around five-year highs, record highs for, for Seven Group. Yeah, it's a hold at the moment for the Bell Potter team. Um, We do like the fact that it's got that much diversification across a lot of different fields. It's not just relying on one uh, revenue stream, revenue earner, and obviously each of the areas it operates in experiences their own cyclical momentum and flows. Um, What we like about the company is that we've just actually recently um, started covering Borrell. So they have the 70% uh, ownership of Borrell. And so we've... We've commenced um, initiated coverage with a hold rating there. We are confident that borrow will demonstrate EBIT margin growth um, towards price cycle highs. So that's another thing that's driving tailwinds for borrow. But um, with leading indicators for residential and non-residential markets slowing in the near term, but over the long term, the growth is there. So that's exciting for borrow because obviously they're the major cement producer in Australia. Um, across the board, we're really positive on the near term outlook for the mining production, engineering construction, and transitional energy markets. And that's where Seven Group obviously plays across with their Coates ownership, West Track ownership, Beach Energy ownership, their interest in Beach Energy of 30%, obviously Borrell as well. So these all this all fares really, really well. And in the long term, with the international domestic um, gas supply shortages, that's where Beach Energy comes into play. Yep. And that definitely represents a long-term tailwind. All right. So you have it as... A hold at the moment? A hold at the moment. Okay. All right. Uh, moving on, our next stock, Ben wants a view, Grady, on Endeavour Group. Uh, over the last couple of years, has been spun out of Woolworths. It's, uh, mm-hmm. it's hotels, it's uh, the poker machines, uh, the Dan Murphys, BWS chains. 
it's got a really good portfolio of uh, growth in the obviously gaming and the um, the pubs and all of that, their liquor stores and liquor consumption is actually on the rise. So this fares really well for Endeavor Group. But at the in my personal investment view, obviously bells don't rate it, but I actually prefer Woolworths in from the mm-hmm. outcome of the demerger of the Endeavor assets by Woolworths back in 2021. And the reason is is because um, Endeavor Group kind of shuts himself off from opportunity of funding from a lot of fund managers who are focused on the ESG front. So a lot of fund managers won't touch companies that have exposure to alcohol, gaming and tobacco. And that's why Woolworths kind of, that was one of the reasons that Woolworths used the Endeavor demerger as an opportunity to really put themselves in a fund manager's exposure again. And so what that says for me is that um, Woolworths divestment of that, they still have some ownership in it, so they still get some clips of the ticket. But the um, Woolworths directional shift into pet retailing is what Mm -hmm. has been a serious driver for Woolworths. And that's why I prefer Woolworths over this uh, very concentrated alcohol gaming tobacco endeavour. Because when it first floated, it was if we were going to go into an economic slowdown, Endeavour Group because of its gaming, because of its yeah. alcohol, uh, would would really get the benefits of that. Because traditionally, when economy slows down, we all start drinking, and that's a yep. but its share price hasn't reflected that at all. I think a lot of people thought because of COVID, everyone was stuck at home. Red wine consumption was through the roof, and yep. everyone started wanting to go access Jimmy Brings and drinking from home and drinking rose during COVID. There's no denying that. And so everyone thought that that would continue into our lives post-COVID, but the health factor and um, consumption of alcohol has fallen since then. Um, It is on the rise over a long-term period, but it has fallen since then. So it just goes to show that if Endeavour had demerged in 2020 or 2019, it could be a different story because of the alcohol consumption during COVID. But yeah, I definitely think it's, if you want to play this concentrated exposure to alcohol, gaming and tobacco, by all means, but that's just not for me. Yep, and there is the ESG element, as we constantly say on the call here. Everyone has their own personal ESG filter. So we just look at the investment potential. You layer your personal filters over the top of it, whether you like coal stocks or not, whether you like gaming stocks or not. Or how, uh, from your client base, how big an impact is their ESG filters now on their decision making? Have you... Is is it significant? It's it's dependent on the sector and dependent on the ESG driver. So I know a lot of the companies, so we see in the news a company is uh, done for something bad on an ESG front. So, for example, they're running petrol vehicles over battery vehicles. And so we definitely see on a daily basis our investors sometimes respond to this. So it just goes to show that some of our investors are really um, sensitive to ESG factors. But then again, over the long term, a lot of our clients are um, thinking long and active long is the kind of our motto and so we don't see many ships but I know a lot of our investors I'm speaking to them at conferences like I am here in Brisbane right now a lot of them are really conscious of that and definitely want the diversified exposure to companies that are doing the right thing by the environment um, some people have a really high holding of Woolworths for their ESG front and right. not just for the community but for the air battery um, fleet vehicles for their um, mini Woolies program they've got a lot going on the ESG front so okay. 
yeah. I know it's definitely there are some investors of ours that are definitely sensitive to ESG. That's for sure. Hmm. Howard, is it a big issue at team invest meeting? Um, well, I think there are two issues about it in team invest meetings. As a general rule, I mean, obviously, different people have different yeah. opinions. Um, we have a sort of standard thing that almost all team invest members subscribe to, and that's uh, we don't have to officially subscribe to it, but I mean they agree with, and that is that you shouldn't really invest in things that you wouldn't like there to be more of. Right. Now, for different people, they wouldn't like more of different things. Yeah. So that could mean there's quite a bit of variety. What they're really annoyed about, though, is the amount of time that boards now have to spend on reporting on what most of our members regard as rubbish. Right. Now, sure, if you're a coal mining company, it's logical that you should report on your environmental impact. Yep. But if you're an IT company like TNE and you have to report pages and pages and you have to spend half your board meeting discussing all these ESG things, yep. you are not going to make any difference in the world one way or the other. Yep. It's an absolute and utter nonsense. Right. So from a point of view of making companies more successful, this is absolutely terrible from, uh, you know, because board meeting time that should be spent on driving the company better in many companies is now spent on doing things that everybody on the board agrees is a total waste of time and we're not going to make any difference, but we have to do it by law. Right. Um, Obviously, for some companies, that's not true. Uh, and they should have to report on it. When you look at a company like Endeavour, I think most of our members would probably say, not for us, because we don't really want more drinking and we don't really want more gambling. Uh, if I put that aside for a moment and look at the company itself, it's only been demerged for three years. And the biggest concern would be that there's been, in that three-year period, a huge amount of unhappiness and fighting on the board. Yes. How does a company get good results for shareholders when the board members are fighting with one another. Yep. So even if it wasn't in alcohol, gaming, etc., the hotel's parts are so bad, but even if it wasn't in that, our members would look at it and say, who would want to invest in a company where the board members are fighting yep. with one so that's another? that's a big, big red flag. Huge red flag. Right. So everybody would just go... Right. So I, I can't imagine a single team invest member being prepared to invest in a company where there's a stoush on at board level. Interesting. Yep. All right. Okay, uh, Grady, you had a hold on it, did you, or a no, and prefer Woolworths? I have an avoid on it. Avoid, it's yep. It's just not on my okay. Yep. All right, our final stock, interesting one. I don't think Mass has um, ever come up on the call. Uh, Connor wants a view, Howard, on Mass, the Australian Construction Materials Equipment and Service Provider, originated, uh, originated out of Dubbo uh, and does sort of civil construction and infrastructure mm. projects. It's yeah. really interesting business. Yeah, I would have pronounced it Moss, being from South Africa right, originally, yeah. but maybe it is Mass. I yeah. don't know. Uh, don't know the company well, only being listed three years. Therefore, we don't have enough knowledge about whether the management are really capable of running a business well. Right. I mean, one of the key things in anything you invest in is who runs the business. The same as... We've all played, I think pretty much all the viewers will have at some stage played sport. Different viewers played different sports. I've played a few. And um, it was pretty obvious to me, as it is to almost everybody, that they aren't going to become elite sportsmen. They either don't have a good enough eye for a ball or good enough timing, or they don't have the athletic ability. So you have fun and you play. Businesses are the same. There are only a very small number of elite businessmen 
who are really fabulous at making money. Everybody else has good ideas, they go into a business, they become the CEO, whatever, they get on a board, and they like amateur sports people. They uh, have fun, um, they get yep. paid for having fun, and they're not gonna deliver anything that's elite. What you're always looking for in, uh, in a business is, number one, that the company is doing something which has prospects of growing, and number two, it's run by an elite business person or people, yep. preferably people, in case it's one person who gets run over by the bus. So you want it to be people. When a company's only listed three years, you have no way of knowing if they are elite or not. Yep. Uh, it would be like me going down to the cricket nets and watching somebody for five minutes and saying they'll make it at a high level. Yep. Uh, you'd have no way of knowing, really. I mean, if you're a really expert, maybe you'd know much better than I would, but uh, you, you'd want to watch a bit longer. Um, and uh, so from our point of view, it's in an industry, again, where it could be contracts where uh, we don't know until the end whether they're going to make any money. Um, but it's got too short a history, so a no from, from me. Uh, Grady, um, gee, it's had a good run in the last six months, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been on a run, and it's uh, ver- the reason that the company's done so well is that it's got its vertical integration. So we're not, there's not many companies that operate under this model, and it's been acquiring companies um, that obviously fall into this vertical integration channel. So it means that they are able to capture the whole supply chain and control their costs. So with that in mind, it definitely puts them on a forefront for um, a leading company in this sector. But again, we've got subdued operate and weaker operating conditions in the mo- at the moment in um, obviously across the areas that it operates in. So construction materials, civil and commercial, they remain very subdued um, at the moment, but commercial remains strong. So the fact that they operate across the board in construction materials and equipment services as well. Um, they are able to weather storms for commercial, like the commercial driver right now is one of their drivers of revenue against the obviously slowdown in the other areas. So with that in mind, um, it's probably a hold for me because we've got, they're exposed to the economic conditions and the market um, conditions. But I do like the fact that they have a vertically integrated model and they are able to control costs because they have the whole supply chain mm. under their belt. Okay, all right. Let's recap the uh, the final five stocks. Harvey Norman, a hold from both Grady and Howard in that retail sector. They prefer others. Grady, it's uh, more your LaVisas and your Accents and Team Invest always been big supporters of JB Hi-Fi. Uh, Temple and Webster, hold from Grady and no from um, Howard. Uh, Seven Group, no from Howard. Um, in that sort of category, he prefers Soul Pats. Uh, a hold from Grady. Uh, and Deborah, no f- from both Grady and Howard. Um, Grady would prefer Woolworths, the, the original parent, if you like, of, of Endeavour. And Mars, a hold from Grady and a no from Howard. Grady Wolf from Bell Direct, we'll let you get back to your uh, mining conference in Brisbane. Thanks for joining us, really appreciate it. Thanks Cheers, for having Grady. me. And Howard Coleman from Team Invest, likewise. Always great to have you on board. Um, that's it for our show for today. If you'd like uh, uh, any stocks covered here on the panel for me to put to our expert panel, uh, go to osbiz.co slash call picks 
or tweet us on X using the at TV handle. Uh, as we always say, if you've got any comments or questions that you want attached to the company, that makes it even more interesting for the panel. So don't hesitate to do that. Uh, the call will be back same time tomorrow, midday Australian Eastern Daylight Time. See you then. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.